Hello and welcome to the Green Majority on CIUT 89.5 FM, uh, the sound of your city, or in one of our much appreciated radio syndicate partners across this land or on the podcast at greenmajority.ca. I am David Hostetter, in studio with Stefan Hostetter. How are you doing? I'm good. Saren Kaster cannot make it. Yes. Nor uh, can Lauren Latour. Yes. Okay, get better, uh, get better, Saren. Yes, we hope they feel very, very much better soon. Yes. And we're going to talk today about the uh, Witsuitan, con- ongoing Witsuitan uh, conflict in uh, northern BC. Yes. And the uh, climate cost of war, potential war. Mm-hmm. The Australian fires and uh, the floods in Indonesia, heat in India, and the company Amazon. Yeah, so it, so you're saying that it's going to be a, a really uplifting show. It is. And in that vein, I was thinking on my way here, the sky, Stefan, is eternally beautiful, as are the fields and the flowers. So I'm going to begin by reading a poem, as Stefan did last year, thus I take my license freely. <laughs> it's all yours. <laughs> it is by Robert Duncan, and it is called Often I Am Permitted to Return to a Meadow. As if it were a scene made up by the mind, that is not mine, but is a made place, that is mine, that is is so near to the heart, an eternal pasture folded in all thought, so that there is a hall therein, that is a made place, created by light, wherefrom the shadows that are forms fall. Wherefrom fall all architecture I am, I say are likenesses of the first beloved, whose flowers are flames lit to the lady. She it is queen under the hill, whose hosts are a disturbance of words within words that is a field folded. It is only a dream of the grass blowing, east against the source of the sun, in an hour before the sun's going down, whose secret we see in a children's game of a ring around of roses told. Often I am permitted to return to a meadow, as if it were a given property of the mind, that certain bounds hold against chaos. It is a place of first permission, everlasting omen of what is. Well. The everlasting omen of what is. Yes. Stefan. Um, I'm, I'm worried that given the, given the state of the world today, what is is a, a little less pleasant than a meadow. Well, it holds against chaos at all times. Well, then we need all the meadows we can get. Yes. It is the beauty of the flowers as gorgeous as Stefan Hostetter's smile. Wow. All right. And we move on. Yes. So as we noted last week, the British Columbia Supreme Court decided again to give the pipeline company Coastal Gaslink, a subsidiary of TC Energy, the legal right to continue its RCMP-backed invasion of indigenous Wet'suwet'en territory in order to complete its $6.6 billion liquid natural gas pipeline running to the coast. And I think we must call it an invasion, since BC has officially adopted UNDRIP as provincial law, and its implementation would require negotiations with the hereditary chiefs of the various Wet'suwet'en clans who oppose the pipeline and who are not recognized as having legitimate authority over those lands. With UNDRIP, however, indigenous peoples are given explicit rights of self-governments and self-determination over their ancestral lands, which would imply that these chiefs do have legitimate authority, even under Canadian law. It also appears that the RCMP was prepared to use lethal weapons against the Wet'suwet'en land defenders when dismantling their roadblock last year. This in spite of the decade-long court battle in the 80s and 90s, at the end of which our National Supreme Court recognized that much of the indigenous land in BC remains unceded, including 22,000 square kilometers of Wet'suwet'en land. An Unistotin newsletter from the first of the month reads, quote, we urge the province, in the strongest terms, to meaningfully uphold its commitment to implement UNDRIP and to withdraw the RCMP from our territories where they oppress our people and criminalize our authority uh, to the benefit of industry. Enforcement of this injunction by the RCMP will lead to the forcible removal of Wet'suwet'en people from our own lands and the bulldozing of our homes, continuing the violent displacement that our ancestors experienced. Following the court ruling allowing the RCMP to forcibly kick people off their own land, the Wet'suwet'en issued an eviction notice to the pipeline company in person, and in a press release, the Unistotin Solidarity Brigade stated, quote, The eviction of CGL, 
that's Coastal Gaslink, is effective immediately, and applies to Camp 9A on Dark House territory, as well as the neighboring Gedimden, Tsayu, and Lakamshu clan territories. Hereditary chiefs have gathered on Gedimden and Jisleu territories to monitor the eviction. Coastal Gaslink has violated the Wet'suwet'en law of trespass and has bulldozed through our territories, destroyed our archaeological sites, and occupied our land with industrial man camps. Private security firms and RCMP have continually interfered with the constitutionally protected rights of Ritsuitan people to access our lands for hunting, trapping, and ceremony. Anuknaten, Wet'suwet'en law, is not a belief or a point of view. It is a way of sustainably managing our territories and relations with one another and the world around us, and it has worked for millennia to keep our territories intact. Our law is central to our identity. The ongoing criminalization of our laws by Canada's courts and industrial police is an attempt at genocide, an attempt to extinguish Wet'suwet'en identity itself. Frida Houston of the Unistoten delivered the eviction notice in person, saying, quote, they make us look like criminals on our own land. We're sending a message to the province and the federal government that they can't bulldoze over indigenous lands. We're making a stand and we're doing it peacefully. Our people have been pushed for too long. It's about the government ignoring us, and we have the right to make the decisions on things we believe are going to destroy these lands. Coastal Gaslink workers uh, did leave the territory after the eviction notice was given on the 4th of January, but are expected to try to regain access to the land with backing from the RCMP. On the 8th of January, the company gave a 72-hour notice for the Wet'suwet'en and their allies to clear the way for workers after arresting 14 people on the previous day. A solidarity rally was held in Toronto on the 7th, with 29 people occupying the offices of RBC and the Alberta Investment Management Corporation, or AIMCO, which are major investors of the pipeline. The Wet'suwet'en have also called for a Friday high school walkout in support, that's today, arguing that indigenous sovereignty is climate justice, because indigenous peoples know how to care for and steward the land in sustainable ways. Solidarity events are happening around the country today and tomorrow. So I want to focus on uh, one particular uh, part of what you just said, which is uh, AIMCO. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, you can, I feel like sometimes in these kinds of stories, you can get sort of lost a, in trying to keep track of, uh, of the number of different places in which the Canadian colonial state is, you know, is, you know, forcing, uh, you know, pipelines through indigenous lands. And so I think it's, it's, mm-hmm. if you're, unless you're, you know, paying a fair amount of attention, you can easily mistake, you know, say the coastal gas link pipeline, um, uh, with with any of the with with it, when any oil pipeline like Trans Mountain, mm. uh, and and so it should be ca- should be clarified that this is liquid natural gas, uh, which is partially what part of the part of the difficulty that exists uh, with having the BC government uh, really really take a good stance on this because they've sort of come out as you know they're they're sort of wishy washy again half against Trans Mountain but have come out more more in support of of liquid natural gas as a you know slightly cleaner quote unquote fuel mm. but with the exact you know but it's very very similar uh you know land claim issues basically yeah um and and so and so i think that but but there's a but there's a tie here and i think the tie here is important and i think speaks to maybe a larger well, a, a larger uh, force at work so i'll tell you a bit of a story and this story like no good stories uh starts with jason kenny mm. yeah and so you might remember, I don't know if we covered it specifically on this show because it would be a little off topic, but uh, back in November, uh, the Alberta government put forward an omnibus bill, which has become, it seems, the only way that Canadian governments have decided to ever govern again. No one has decided to have a reasonable uh, budgetary or bill anymore. It's, you have to do 7,000 things with every bill so as, as ways to sort of basically avoid scrutiny, mm. uh, which, you know, is bad. <laughs> Uh, quite actively, but, um, but does exist. Um, and so an omnibus bill while Jason Kenney was not in the country, he was, he was down pitching, pitching oil, uh, in, in, in the States, uh, and in this oil, uh, in this, in this came, in this came through, omnibus came through and it was the one that sort of set off a series of, of complaints and, and inaction, uh, because it also was the work that cut the, uh, the shutdown, the Alberta election commission. 
Uh, and, and that got a lot of the focus because at the time, the Alberta Elect- Election Commissioner was looking into Jason Kenney's potential, uh, 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 potential violation of Alberta election laws mm. uh, to get himself elected as the head of the UCP. Um, and so this was, this was a majority of the conversation was around that. However, it did a whole bunch of other things, again, as Omnibus Bills does. And one of those things was that it took the Albertan uh, Teachers Pension Fund uh, and, and, and forced it into AIMCO. Wow. Yeah, yeah, the Alberta Investment Management Corporation. Mm-hmm. And so it, uh, you know, AIMCO manages over $100 billion in Alberta, but it sort of for- required this extra money to go in. And Jason Kenney started making noise that he was considering actually removing um, all of Alberta's um, workers and putting them into the to, into the pension into their in AIMCO as well. Mm. Instead of instead of keeping them in the Canadian pension plan, which is the which where they currently are, and I'm not going to get it, uh, you know I've read a I've read a few articles on on the justification for this, and it sounds as if AIMCO does pretty well with investments, but it is currently not doing as well as the Canadian pension plan or the teacher, Ontario teachers pension plan or previously the previous Alberta teachers pension plan, but still doing decently well. And so like it feels like there's at least some argument can be made that this is, that at least maybe the teachers pension plan is not totally unreasonable. But the one big worry was that one thing that this money would do was was that Kenny would start using the fact that they had this sort of money, investment money around as a way to keep propping up the fossil fuel industry. And and so that was and that was sort of the big fear was was what would happen if you started, you know, if it would be, you know, if we're losing, as we have covered the show previously, we're losing funds from, say, Sweden has decided not invest in in, in, in Alberta bonds whatsoever. A series of, 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 of European banks have decided not to invest in the oil sands. You know, there's there's the, the ability to find investment in out from outside places in Alberta uh, for the oil sands and, and fossil fuel industries in Canada is becoming harder and harder. And so, and so the worry was that they would use this as a way to provide new investment capital, um, which a is a you know bit of a concern. Um, but but the, the the bigger the biggest concern there in my mind, and maybe uh, I'm sure economists would have uh, more opinions than just this. But one concern would certainly be that you know that the Alberta economy is already very very reliant on fossil fuels, and so to take the pensions and put them in a system that is even more so uh, reliant on that would, would go even further, mm. and be even and, and sort of dig a deeper hole for Alberta to get out of if there was a shift in regard to fossil fuel industry. So that was a concern, um, and, but it didn't it didn't necessarily uh, but you know but there wasn't you know, the, the, and Imco has a history of of investing more local and more in Canada and so has a has a wider range of investments in 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 these types of things already but wasn't there was no guarantee that was going to happen a month later December twenty sixth Amco purchases a majority stake in this pipeline majority stake majority uh, well, they they co bought it. Uh, with a with a with KKR, which is a uh, which is a management, uh, which is a, a private equity firm in the states, mm. but sixty five percent a month later. So it's not that Amco has not. It's not that the Amco isn't just happens to be on it for some time. They literally bought this days ago. So he quite quickly funneled those those te- that teacher's money into the pipeline, like. Like yes, now again, how much direct influence did did he have? But very quickly, they made a, they bought it from the Coastal Gas Link uh, from TC Energy Corporation, which has been trying to get this thing built for quite some time. Mm. And so we're fi- we're seeing yet again, in the same way that when the Canadian government bought you know bought, purchased uh, the Trans Mountain uh, the pipeline. What we're seeing here is yet another instance of the Canadian government or governments in Canada or, and using the public's money to further in prop up its, uh, the, 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 this economy and this industry that is in direct opposition with not only the, the, you know, the landowners or the, the, the people who, who have the rights to the land, but also to an industry that you know, is, is expected to release you know, gigatons of, of fossil fuels. Yeah, and in that sense, cannot be said to be in the public interest. Well, exactly. You know, like, and 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 so, and so, this is, um, you know, this is just yet another, you know, like it's it wants once again another example of it's not just that, you know, it's it's that we're that you're trying to negotiate a a a if between a third party um, 
business and 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 the and the people whose lands you are now trying to bulldoze through it is once it become once again puts the puts the puts the canadian public right in the uh in the ownership yeah, now seat. we're directly invested yeah uh, of, of of once again uh, of this of this colonial and uh, disastrous uh, climate related uh, you know action and and it's just I think it just like I think it bears noting really uh, that it's that that it's that it's happening again and I I honestly I would not be surprised if if they if if more money continues to come through again from an economics perspective there are more and more risk is being downloaded onto Canada because of these do you know who things. runs Aimco it, it's a like it's 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 run by it's the Alberta Investment Management Corporation, so it's a so it's government. Uh, yes, yeah. Like it's it's probably a, it's probably run by a set of you know board of directors, yeah. and yeah, it gets seven point three percent apparently of rate of return. But elected officials are not supposed to have direct access to. I, I'm not sure exactly okay. how that works. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would be surprised. I hope that elected <laughs> officials are not going around saying you know most most uh, investment firms are pretty much trying to be as outside of any sort of influence as they can be, mm-hmm. um, because their goal is to make as much money to make sure the pensions can keep funding. Right, that's the point of these pension funds. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I'm not gonna. I don't know enough to d- dive into that exactly. Uh, but yeah, so, so again, there's like – we'll keep covering the story because obviously the uh, – you know, the where it's a developing and we expect it to continue. The, the actual time where this pipeline is supposed to go live isn't until 2025. Really? Yeah. So there's so there, it's not You've like got a lot to do. Yeah. So so yeah, it's it's quite a quite a quite a lengthy process still, and you know and 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 will and if if the BC government is committed to you know committed to to, to the United Nations declaration de- declaration of uh, rights and of indigenous protection, yeah, which is UNDRIP, um, indigenous peoples, indigenous peoples. Sorry, uh, this is this is obviously against that, you know, and, and so there's a there's a series of of questions here that that will play out whether or not it is how the BC government handles this now that the fact that this is yet another pipeline that Alberta is trying to push basically through there through you know in uh, through 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 indigenous peoples of 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 BC mm-hmm. you know expect that to be uh you know expect them to have opinions one again once again yeah it's, it's Horgan right he's the yeah. premier he's the premier what's interesting is that they brought in UNDRIP they introduced they said this is our law now in October I believe it was but lawmakers uh are not even certain what that means for them Obviously, right. because it has so many implications because yes. of all the unceded territory in BC. They're looking at it and they're like, ooh, this really, this really overturns a lot of the way we do things here. Right. And they don't know what to do about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's a lot to, there's a lot to, to a lot to unpack and, and obviously there's a lot to decide. But, but I think the, the, the key here is that, um, you know, once again, uh, Canada and Canadian, you know, us as individual citizens are once again being put in the scenario where, where we are, you know, financially vested in uh, in the in the continuation of of, of colonial land rights uh, or colonial land land claims, um, and 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 the consistent you know like rejection of both both science and and the rightful owners of this land. And you know, far be it for me to uh, to to speak for 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 everyone, but. I think it would be better if we weren't. Mm. I, okay. So, but right. uh, we're going to come we'll back with uh, Australian uh, Australian wildfires and all. But but I believe first we'll talk about uh, Iran, uh, Iran, and and the climate cost of war. Uh, but uh, let's go to a to a music break. Uh, so we'll be back in a bit. The Green Majority is entirely listener-supported. Our goal to reach minimum solvency is to raise $300 a month. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com for as little as $1. And welcome back to The Green Majority on CIUT 89.5 FM or one of our appreciated radio syndicate partners or on the podcast at greenmajority.ca. <clears throat> I'm David Hostetter. We're with Stefan Hostetter. Thank you, Jennifer, for that music break. That was uh, Tribe Called Red. With electric powwow drum. All right. And now we're going to talk about the most disturbing thing that has occurred so far this year. As everyone knows, the United States carried out an extremely underconsidered and illegal assassination of the highest Iranian general, Qasem Soleimani, on the 3rd of January. The U.S. government then acted. <clears throat> 
then acted like completely irrational fools, as if Iran were the aggressor, even though, as Juan Cole pointed out on Democracy Now!, the U.S. has been throttling the country economically for 19 months by not allowing other countries to buy their petroleum, which in itself could constitute war. The U.S. also predictably lied about the assassination afterwards, claiming that Soleimani was going to Iraq to plan attacks against the U.S., when in fact he was invited there by the Prime Minister of Iraq to negotiate with Saudi Arabia and had arrived on a regular commercial flight. In addition, Soleimani had previously helped the U.S. in its fight against al-Qaeda, even though he's now being painted as a consistent enemy by war propagandists in the U.S. media. Following the assassination, the Iraqis voted to kick the U.S. military out of their country, which the latter then formally agreed to, even though the U.S. government is trying to claim that they won't be leaving. In any case, if they stay, they could be sued in international court. Iran responded to the assassination on the 8th of January by firing 22 missiles at Iraqi bases that housed U.S. troops, although Iran duly warned Iraq in advance that the attacks were coming. The U.S. has now decided to apply more sanctions, although it's not obvious what additional sanctions they could apply, since they have been claiming to be applying maximum pressure already. Iran has little to gain by any negotiations with the U.S. that go against the nuclear deal that was reached with Obama, since it will send a message that the U.S. can simply tear up whatever agreement it wants. Iran began pursuing nuclear weapons again after Trump killed the original deal and started choking them economically. All this comes directly on the heels of the hard evidence of the Afghanistan papers that prove the U.S. has been lying constantly to its own people about making progress in Afghanistan, when in fact they have never had a viable plan and have essentially been flailing through the longest war in U.S. history. We mention this because the U.S. military is the single worst entity in the world for carbon pollution, accounts for 15% of American manufacturing, and a major war at this point could doom our collective efforts, uh, chances of stopping global ecosystem collapse. In her climate newsletter, Heated, Emily Atkin details the climate cost of war, pointing out that we don't actually know the full extent of U.S. war emissions, since military emissions overseas are not reported and are exempt from the UNFCC. She cites research from Netta Crawford from the Costs of War Project that reads, quote, during uh, each air mission, aircraft puts hundreds of tons of CO2 in the air, not to mention the support activities of naval and ground-based assets for these air missions. <clears throat> the U.S. war in Afghanistan and Iraq began with days of massive airstrikes. Moreover, in each case, material was flown to the war zones and bases uh, were set to pro prosecute the wars and occupations. Similarly, uh, the U.S. war against ISIS in Syria and Iraq, which began in August uh, 2014, has entailed tens of thousands of aircraft sorties for various missions, from reconnaissance to aircraft refueling and weapons strikes. It's also likely the U.S. would rely on aerial power against Iran, and that Iran would bomb Saudi oil fields that would be left burning for months on end. Atkin also points out that war would divide the world at a time when only international cooperation, or at the very least coordination, can definitively face our climate crisis. Yeah, so one quick point of, of clarification in that, despite the fact that a few United States officials have claimed that Iran has actually restarted its nuclear uh, plans, it has it, it remains to stay, it has not. Oh, okay. Uh, it, has, it has stopped complying with all parts of the nuclear agreement. Uh, which still was technically in with the rest of the European nations. They're not pursuing enriched uranium. They have. They. They. That. Uh, well, it is their position that they oh. still are not doing that. Uh, they are just no longer doing some of the other parts of the agreement that they had had with with the European nations, which they were still a part of technically, because oh. it was an agreement not just between the United States and, and Iran. It was the European nations were involved as well. Okay. But anyways, um, the in in regards to in regards to the rest of that, I I was struck when I came in. Um, so I don't. We we broadcast or we record this from a from a studio that is inside uh, Hart House, which is a, on UFT campus, and so it's a it's a habit of mine to pop by a the there's a cafe here and the pop by, pop by there to get a coffee before coming in, mm. and sitting outside of it 
this the, today is a was a was a was a, a name say we remember and then a list of six names of uh, of U of T students who are on uh, flight seven fifty two, uh, which I think is safe to say is a is a casualty of the uh, of this of of this of the of this of this escalation of tensions that that Trump has begun. Why is that safe to say? Because it is quite likely that the Iranian government uh, sh- hit the plane with a missile, uh, likely accidentally, but details are still emerging. Oh, I thought it was Boeing's no, tactical failures again. No, the the plane that they was on is was not the plane that – even more studies have come out today. Actually, as a, as a complete aside, uh, the Bo- it is the same number Boeing, but it's actually an entirely different plane. The plane that, that, the plane that they were on is actually one that is – very uh that has been pl- flying for many many years and has been totally fine and very safe actually okay. uh the the plane although as a complete aside the plane that has been crashing the boeing 757 max today there's a whole list of new documents coming out from internal in boeing where there are internal people who are who built this plane saying it was built by clowns so wow. you know if you ever need to like that corporate capitalism doesn't care about the lives of anyone uh the fact that any boeing allowed that other plane to to fly ever uh might is a is a pretty good indication of that mm. But obviously off topic. I think the to to uh, the one number I was struck by in 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 your research was was that the United States military responsible for fifteen percent of U.S. manufacturing. Yeah, that is incredible. Like that, like it's one of those things where you when you look at the U.S. budget, and you see that literally half of it remains going to the military. Something that's, a number like that should make some sense, but it still is. It is. It is. You know, you begin to understand just. You know why and how wrapped up uh, the 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 you know the United States economy and capitalism is to this need for forever war. Yeah, they're 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 spending compared to other countries on military is not even close. No, I believe it's not even worth discussing. I believe it is more than the top ten or fifteen other militaries like mm-hmm. combined something mm-hmm. like that. It's it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But but like but that but man, the fact that fifteen percent of U.S. manufacturing is specifically for the U.S. military, you know, speaks to just how much interest there is in you know in starting these 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 wars everywhere. And and not, and the and the, the the second piece that that the was that and of course it makes some I understand sort of the why which not that I agree with it is that for some reason um, and this is again to go back to a to a larger point about trying to track carbon the fact that military carbon not in the United States does not count as carbon for apparently probably anybody is is indication of just how hard it will be for us to deal with this issue. If we continue to allow for, you know, this expansive militaristic, you know, regime. Yeah, we have all these international laws, but it's obvious that none of them apply to the U.S. military. Yeah. And and, and, and the fact that, you know, the fact that they – that like, you know, you, if you could reduce – like if you can reduce your missions everywhere because of that's inside your country, but, you know, but anything else, but, you know, like – but you still have all these loopholes. It just speaks to the fact that, you know – the the transition that we need is so much bigger than anything that a, like that even something like you know a comprehensive carbon tax while doing a fair amount still is not going to get the US military to to stop having these things in another country for the US military to begin reporting their emissions overseas i think would require them actually changing the way they think about not just their weapons but weapons in general because yeah. and right, right now they have the weapons right you're like you need to report well we have weapons right you need to rethink why you have those weapons. Well, yeah, yeah, and and the and just the fact that they're able to so vastly, you know, like it just speaks to the difficulty of, of what the task would really be, right? Mm-hmm. Of of actually, you know, uh, and how connected demilitarization is with climate action, mm-hmm. you know, like for you know, like let like yes, I think like you know, obviously a united world is necessary to tackle this big collective action problem, but also um, just the act of the fact that you have fifteen percent of U.S. manufacturing tied up in a in continuing a forever war across. Across the world is means that it, which which cannot be tracked in in terms of that as well. There's just it's it all full, it all rolls back into this sort of this sort of fact that you know the the colonial narrative or or the manifest destiny narrative that that you can go other places and whatever you do other places is not is 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 what is, is your own business and and can be exempt from basically any other rules speaks to all of the number of ways that 
to roll back and to actually deal with climate change requires a pretty rapid demilitarization of the world, requires, you know, a pretty fundamental shift in how we are experiencing our daily life. And but it also means that 15 percent of U.S. manufacturing could then become in flip and use to do some you know, to be a bit to build the infrastructure need for the green transition. Well, of course, we must remember that the U.S. military invented a lot of the technologies that uh, are being capitalized upon by companies like Apple and so forth. Yeah. So it's not just that it needs to be scaled back is that indeed, as you just said, it can be rejigged. It can yeah. be refocused. It can yeah. be turned around. Yeah. And, and, and we need, des- you know, and if we need, and if everyone started saying, how do we afford to pay for, you know, the Green New Deal? Well, I don't know. You've got $700 billion a year going to the United States, going to the military mm-hmm. and, you know, every year. And, and no one asks how much, you know, how much a war, a war costs. And it's, you know, the, if, 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 you know, if Iraq is any proof, it's trillions of dollars. Uh, but we're, 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 we're sort of going a little slow. So we should probably get on to the next, uh, the next story. So let's get to, uh, to the wildfires. Okay. So, um, sorry, one second. Australia. Australia is in the midst of a horrendous fire season that has burned since September has hit every Australian state and territory and has killed at least 25 people and up to 1 billion animals, creating an astronomical plume of smoke that has wrapped around the globe all the way to Chile. Volunteer firemen are taking weeks off work to fight the blazes and the military has been deployed to evacuate victims. This military is being deployed to a degree of sophistication and intensity not seen in Australia since World War II. Many firefighters over there agree that they are in uncharted territory. The fires started amidst record-breaking heat during Australia's driest year on record, and have raised the alarm in a country that has been riddled with data-driven, psychological, and precisely targeted fossil fuel propaganda in order to elect fossil fuel-focused politicians. Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison was shouted out of a small town by fire victims and videos are surfacing of him awkwardly and forcibly shaking people's hands after they deny him. Morrison has, of course, been touting the old line about balancing the economy with the environment as he goes around saying that his government can't be blamed for the fires, which is a straw man meant to distract from his shortcomings amidst what is probably the largest evacuation in the country's history. People are turning up in droves to hospitals with respiratory illnesses, and the smoke was so intense in Sydney last month that smoke alarms were going off indoors. New South Wales is in an official state of emergency, and Victoria has declared a state of disaster. On the failings of Scott Morrison, Nick Cohen quotes a disgruntled Morrison voter as saying that failure to recognize climate change as a major threat will leave overworked and underprepared, underappreciated first responders unprepared for worse fires in the future. Cohen writes, quote, despite its failure, perhaps because of its failures, the do-nothing Australian right remains admired across the conservative world. The 2019 election was meant to be a climate change election about the killing of the Great Barrier Reef, the extreme drought and average summer temperatures across the continent hitting 40 degrees Celsius. Yet Morrison and his campaign team managed to turn it into an election about the Australian Labour Party's tax plans. Not only is Scott Morrison against climate action, he also went on a vacation to Hawaii during the fires, has been slow to respond to them, and has been petulantly defensive of his own failures. As political science professor James Walter writes for The Conversation, quote, it is a situation that was foreseen by experienced fire chiefs last April. Indeed, the fire chiefs made a case for more federal resources two years ago, but their calls for national leadership and national coordination were ignored. Now that what they feared has come to pass, Prime Minister Scott Morrison and his team have handled matters poorly. They have been laggards in their response, reactive rather than proactive, more preoccupied with image management and partisan messaging than the job at hand. They have also responded inappropriately to criticism. And as if to prove the climate, uh, as, as if to prove this catastrophe is a microcosm for climate action on the global scale, Walter concludes, quote, from the start of the crisis, the Morrison government disregarded the conventional means for crisis management. Adequate consultation with state agencies, the expected channels for disseminating information, and drawing people together effectively to work jointly on what is a collective action problem. Only at the end, after the significance of so many missteps has dawned, did Morrison open the check for measures that might have been initiated well before the fire season. Yeah. So, 
I was talking um, to a to a to a friend and colleague who's uh, who's from Australia, and so it was that sort of asking him about how you know obviously how his family was doing and how they were they were handling it. And what was interesting was the the point that 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 he made was was not was that you know his family was was relatively safe, but his point was that it's not what's not apparent maybe uh, more apparent perhaps is that it's it's not just the it's who's being like this is these these are so huge. That it, it, it's affecting the psyche of the entire country. You know, this is this isn't this isn't like um, uh, I would say. You know, like this isn't the same. Uh, the scale of this is, I think, just beyond what you can totally imagine. Uh, you, you, there's a good map at one point of showing sort of Australia mapped over uh, where the wildfires are in Australia, so mapped over uh, North America, and it it would be it would be as if you know a majority of this country had had uh, had a had a fire in it. Really, mm-hmm. it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it 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 fall and it follows sort of the skirts of the you know mostly on the on the outsides of it because the inside is mostly dry desert. But you know, it is it is it is huge, and and the and the numbers are absolutely staggering. The the number that 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 someone he was the 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 idea that a billion animals have died, and like. As we've said previously, the, the about about when you talk about billionaires, people don't. It's hard to imagine how big that number is. Mm-hmm. It's 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 factually very difficult. You know, it's, it's like you can imagine a million. You think it's like only a little bit more than that, but it is so like it's like, you know, it is so much more than that. Mm-hmm. That that the loss of biodiversity in this and, and loss of, of life in these fires is 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 truly truly unbelievable. And if I if I can draw one connection maybe to the to the to the first uh, the first story here, is there's an article in uh, the Conversation, uh, which which came out actually um, a few months ago, it came out in November, but it sort of talks about the the fact that and the difference between how um, how Indigenous Australians. Um, were would would do fire um, would would sort of would sort of take care of the land to try to decrease the fires mm-hmm. compared to sort of what the current Western science uh, colonialism uh, actions are and and how the and how some of the some of the ways that that, that is that it's done now is um, uh, is is still is still is still changing. And is still being uh, is still is still trying to figure out is like it's it. Basically, it's that they're not the, – the, the major difference is that the, the, the Western science sort of response has been a little more uh, – a lot less, honestly, on the land, uh, quite, quite literally actually, um, rather than sort of you know, that the process of, of being on the land and sort of walking through it and, and sort of doing it in a much more on-the-ground way. It's often done from the sky. Like, cool. And and done it and done it at a, so they wider scale. Um, some of these fire suppression techniques, or starting these smaller fires to sort of prevent larger ones, mm. and and that this that this that, that this is not as effective, basically, and and that a lot of the traditional knowledge that that existed, you know, from these people who had been here year over year, over year has been was lost in the sort of colonial uh, response uh, and 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 actions in 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 Australia. And and how and so I mean so, the wiping out of indigenous Australians. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, and and just sort of the the suppression of their understanding and views as illegitimate, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so and, and so it's it's fascinating um, and and terrifying um, how widespread the uh, the impacts of 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 it's like everywhere you look, there's there's another intertwined link. Uh, between the 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 acts of uh, the, the colonial acts uh, to to the to the to the loss of 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 life the, the the destruction of land and and the the increase of difficulty of, of climate change and it's, it's it's as if you know it's like and it's 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 just everywhere um and so and so that, that's that's the that's the sort of that's the thing and again these fires are still going um i believe i believe at this point now i think it's like Firefighters from, I believe, Canada and the states have now arrived to 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 try to battle this blaze, and 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 yet another. I believe I woke up this morning to a news of another mega fire that sort of had had two fires had once again combined and 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 brought it forward. Um, and so we again, we're we're sort of running out of time, so I do want to get to the next music break. Um, I, I will say that uh, the music break is a bit of a tone change. Uh, so it's a, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, a brief pick me up before we get back into the sadness, mm. I think is the way I would describe I said this. It. Yeah. He was a skater boy, she said see you later boy, he was a 
Haven't you heard how we rock each yes, other's w- <laughs> So there we go. That was a brief uh, brief Avril pick-me-up uh, before we get back into the, the honestly, depressing, depressing mm. news. Well, yes. Indonesia. 66 people have now died in the worst flooding in over a decade in the Indonesian capital of Jakarta. December 31st saw the most rain in a single day since records began in 1886. It was the equivalent of 72,000 Olympic swimming pools being dumped on Jakarta alone on New Year's Eve. One woman sat on her roof for 22 hours before she was rescued, and 36 people, 36,000 people have been displaced. Jakarta is a city that is already sinking, and the government has been considering moving the entire capital to higher ground for many years now. Yes. And man, this is an example of, uh, man, I, 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 I've been thinking about this a bit and I, and I, I, I've, I've mentioned a couple times a little bit on the show, but I think I, at some point I'm going to try to do a, a larger, a larger, uh, thought about it, about how it feels like you cannot, like it feels like defining part of our time is the fact that it is, it is nearly impossible if not actually impossible mm. um to to a keep up with with the with the constant stream of 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 worsening uh climate related news you know like here is you know here you know we've we are uh, here's 66 people dying in the worst flooding in over a decade you know and in jakarta is is huge jakarta is you know is one of the biggest cities in the world um, you know, and so the, and so to, to have this, you know, to have 36,000 people be d- displaced is, and have that be, you know, the, the fourth or fifth or sixth story that sort of gets covered, but, you know, is not, you know, is not, you know, can't fight its way up to the top of things, you know, speaks to the fact that it, as, as these things, as, as things ramp up and as more and more and more of these kind of catastrophes pile on. It is. It is. It is. Become more and more difficult for, uh, for the for for us as for, you know, for the world to be able to constantly respond to them and 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 provide the social support needed. You know, like the the fact that there's like you know millions of dollars that have been raised to help to help to help uh, Australia right now, and certainly not the same scale uh, to help to help you know the the Indonesian uh, you know uh, population is. Uh, well, a, I think speaks in part to the, the you know to the to the bias towards towards you know more, to to particular more westernized and white nations, but also to the fact that there's just so much, um, yeah. and and I think that like the idea that this is the thing I, I was talking about like, the idea that like you know we as as citizens here in 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 Canada or or wherever you might be listening to the show, you know, go on to the internet and learn about X Y Z. And, and, you know, and, and, and discover the fact that, you know, that they're, that the Australia is on fire and that, you know, that we're at, we're on the, you know, the brink of a potential war and that, you know, Jakarta is underwater. Um, and, you know, and that there's, you know, that, that, that all of these things are occurring and yet have to get up, go outside, do your day job and exist as if nothing's happening or at least exist as if, as if you're not impacted by the experience. Is to me a, a unique experience of our particular time, um, and 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 how we exist in this time, and how we respond to that, I think is going to be a defining characteristic of if we're able to sort of move in towards action. Mm. Um, but uh, toward, speaking of action, the next story. Um, oh wait, no, the next story is not good. I thought it was a different India story. So I'm going to take mm. a different part of the India story mm. after you talk about this part of it. In concert with the world at large, this last decade was also India's hottest on record. Just last year, extreme weather hit somewhere in the country in every season, and over 1,500 people were killed by heavy rain, extended heat, flooding, and lightning storms. For the past 40 years worldwide, each decade has been hotter than the previous one. Yeah, so I, so I thought this story was act, was about the fact that uh, also ongoing right now in India is the world's largest strike. Mm. 250 million people. 250 million people are yes. striking in India right yeah. now. Uh, to, um, uh, you know, to, to push for, to push for, for more rights and, and, and better, and better, and better working conditions and, and, uh, and, 
and in a better sort of you know a, a, a way to way to live basically throughout the country throughout the country 250 million people mm-hmm. nearly the like you know how, what is that like eight not eight times the population of Canada mm-hmm. uh, are are striking against the against the the current uh, conservative Indian government and so um, you know and so this is. Uh, and so there's, so there's, so there are, there is action in this world, um, you know, as well as, as, as all of these other, all of the other unfortunate stories. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so th- th- like, again, like the fact that, yeah, there's just, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. You know, the fact that, you know, you can get, you know, it, like, th- th- I think often we can forget the scales of, of, of humans, uh, you know, in the fact that like uh, you live in Canada and, and, and people are relatively far apart from each other. You know, this is a huge, I've learned to this week that Canada takes up 6% of all land mass in the entire world. All, mm. sorry, all, 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 sorry, 6% of all surface area of the entire world. So not just land, oh. land and oceans. Wow. It's huge. Um, and, and so, and yet, you know, the, the number of people make, make the community, you know, makes, you know, we're still only 32, 33 million, million people. And so the fact that, you know, 1500 people can be killed by heavy rain in India in a year, you know, is, would be, if that occurred in here, again, that's all we would know about. It would just be this never ending story about the, the tribulations of heavy rain. And well, yet, not just heavy rain, all extreme weather combined. Right. All right. Fine. Um, but the, you know the but you know like that's 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 so beyond what we what, what, what we could possibly experience here. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet these are individual. You know these these, these are all you know, individual people's lives and and that are lost. And it's it's it, the scale is just just like it, it gets you get I get struck by it. Yes, the ivory tower of Canada and especially Toronto is really very high. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but let's we have one last story um, and we're ending on you know. Capitalism at its finest. The company Amazon is threatening to fire its workers if they speak out against its environmental policies. The group uh, Amazon Employees for Climate Justice stated on the 2nd of January, quote, Amazon tech workers have been contacted by Amazon legal and HR representatives and questioned about public comments they had made around Amazon's responsibility in the global climate emergency. Some workers then received follow-up emails threatening termination if they continue to speak about Amazon's business. Amazon updated its policy about workers speaking to the press and on social media in early September, one day after the group announced they were organizing the climate walkout. The updated policy requires employees to seek prior approval uh, to speak about Amazon in any public forum while identified as an employee and has been used as the justification for Amazon's attempts to silence workers. Uh, this is in contrast to Amazon's leadership principles, which encourages employees to have a backbone and challenge decisions when they disagree. Uh, what the 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 structure of, of of Amazon capitalism is not to allow for for free expression? Should I? Uh, I feel like I should be I should be blown away here. Mm. Um, yeah, so this is. There was a story I think I briefly commented on uh, before the Christmas break uh, around the the sheer the sheer volume and destruction caused by re- Amazon returns, you know, caused by the con by the fact that you know that millions of packages get returned uh, every 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 holiday season. Yeah, and not just Amazon, and not just Amazon ever, but but Amazon is obviously the biggest one. Yeah, you know, and and so the, and so it is, and and the idea that we have now, like, it is, it is, it only takes a couple seconds to re, to recognize the fact that to switching from a uh, a model where everything goes to one place and people go to that place and get it to everything has to get dropped off at your house whenever you want it is a climate nightmare. Hmm. Like that's 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 a pretty, I feel like a pretty. Um, uh, pretty intuitive, I would say. And it's not just that. I mean, in one sense, it's a it's an addiction to convenience, but it's also that Amazon has strategically stripped, uh, especially bookstores, of their power, and so often these books are only available through Amazon. Yes. Yeah. Well, and yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, they, Amazon has successfully sort of hollowed out so many so many smaller sub cities that there there are not. 
you know, they're not places to get other stuff. You ha- you're you 100% reliant on them. They're creating and, – and so and so as we see these tech giants grow, you know, you saw – there's a whole bunch of conversation about, about – about, on, on, from Google and about how Google is um, – you know, has been cramping down on people who are trying to unionize, you know, as their workers and firing them. Uh, you, know, you know, Facebook is a mess regardless. So I don't even think you have to consider what all those – the problems there. Um, and, and, and Amazon, you, you expect to see as they, as they have bigger and bigger and more and more people, you know, it, it is not surprising that they will start acting more and more like, you know, author- authoritarian regimes. And we look, um, our ideology even says that they should act like little feudal tyrannies because we think of them as private enterprises and therefore they shouldn't actually be held to public scrutiny. Well, yeah, well, private enterprise. Well, and into 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 echo uh, a a thing that 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 Saren often says that they, I'm sure they would say if they were if they were feeling better is the fact that it's not just that we don't expect them to; it's that we require them to. Mm. Like their they their defense is would often be that they are required to try to make as much money as possible for their shareholders. That is the that is the requirement of what they are working for. And so, and so, it is up to government to stop this, and that's it. Like you cannot, you, like this, the action to do this cannot come from inside because they are not incentivized to do so, uh, and and they are, and and they, and there's, and there's no interest, like, and they're currently pretty happy being very rich about this. It has to come from outside. It's the purpose of government, uh, whether that whether that's part of using antitrust legislation to break up break up these larger tech companies, or it's the responsibility of uh, or, or or through other regulations. Like the only way this stops is through government intervention. And and so as 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 you know, as much as you need inside organization people inside organizations fighting for this, when you get as big as Amazon uh, or Google, it has to be the government has to step in and actually use its its law its legal powers to 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 reduce this, or we'll get stuck in the, in this never ending loop. And this has nothing to do with desiring a larger government. The idea of the size of government is a red herring in this discussion. Yes, yeah. It's about what the role of government should be. Yes, and and I think and everyone should agree that part of it has to be holding these businesses to account. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are now out of uh, out of time. So thank you all so much for listening. Uh, thank you to to our to our tech today, uh, and thank you to our listeners as always. Hopefully, Saren will feel better. We'll be back next week, uh, and if not, we'll see you. We'll see you all then on the seventeenth of January. Thanks so much, everyone.